Good evening, everybody. Uh, it's good to see you here, uh, kids and parents of little young kids. I see you. I'm aware of what time it is. You're in good hands. We'll be all right. We're going to make, make it through. And if uh, some of our little ones continue to be a little rambunctious, let's just consider that game time conditions for uh, our live nativity here uh, at McLean Prez. Um, if you've been with us, uh, even if you haven't been, you'll notice in our, the title of the sermon is God With Us. You've already heard that theme mentioned a few times. It's something we've explored throughout uh, Advent, and this is really a theme of the Bible that starts in the very first pages. We've seen that in Genesis, and we've even worked our way through other passages in places like Exodus, where God is with his people in the wilderness, and then tonight we're looking at Matthew chapter 1, where um, we're told on the night Jesus was born that it was declared, here we have the fulfillment of an ancient promise that God would come to be with his people. So we're going to talk about that tonight from Matthew chapter 1. That was one of our earlier readings, and so I'll leave it to you to turn back in your bulletin if you want to look at it with me as we look at Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Um, let me pray for us as we start. Our God and our Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity to consider the good news of Christmas. We pray, Lord, that you would move in our hearts, that we might know you, that we might see more clearly who Jesus is and what it means to trust our lives to him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, preachers have this conversation on a regular basis. I just had it the other day with another preacher, and it goes something like this. At what point do you end up saying the same thing over and over again on Christmas Eve? And uh, on some level, that's, in, that's totally appropriate. Uh, you might get a little nervous if I start introducing new material at this point, if you're at all familiar with the Christmas story. At the same time, I'll tell you that the Christmas story is an odd story. It's also an odd one that we invite all the kids to listen in on, because it's kind of scandalous when you take it on the merits. When you just read Matthew 1, you realize this is a story that's more suitable for the Lifetime channel than the Disney channel. There's some odd things going on in this story. Are you with me? Are you tracking it? Like, are we really reading the same story, right? The story about a teenage couple getting engaged, an unexpected pregnancy, rumors of unfaithfulness. The father doesn't even know who the father is. There's the risk of very public scandal if this gets out, not to mention the personal pain and betrayal that Joseph must have felt. He seemed like a pretty good guy. And then there's Mary, how confused and fearful she must be of the consequences of everything that's happening in many ways completely out of her control. Um, and what makes it worse is that Joseph really does seem like a good guy. And Joseph does the right thing. He, we're told in the text that, that he's unwilling to shame Mary for this. And so he resolves to divorce her quietly. It was within his rights to drag her into court, you know, within the Jewish system and to embarrass her and to humiliate her as a way of defending his own reputation. But he decides not to do that because we're told he's a just man. That word means righteous. Um, incidentally, we really don't know that much about Joseph. This is one of the few passages we have in the entire Bible about Joseph. And yet, it's the one that 
throughout church history, Christians have returned to to applaud him for his virtuous behavior because what he does is admirable. It's, um, it's kind. Here's a guy who's not making all of this about himself and his own feelings and his own rights. He, he's looking out for someone else in a way that draws our attention and really should draw our praise. But because of all that attention on the fact that Joseph decides to leave quietly, what's often overlooked it's what, is what's even more admirable. The fact that he stays. I mean, something must have happened overnight from resolving to leave her quietly to staying, and presumably staying for as long as he lived with this family, with this young child and his mother. Now, when you read the text, maybe you go, well, of course he stayed. Like, what else are you going to do? If an angel shows up in your dream and tells you that, uh, that the child comes from God himself and that his wife conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and that this child will be called the Son of the Most High and that he will be the Messiah, the Savior of his people, well, of course you're going to wake up from that and say, all right, looks like I'm staying for a while, right? There's no way you're going to get up from that dream and quietly pack your bags and head for the exit, right? I don't know. Anybody have weird dreams? Right? Like I was having this conversation with my wife the other day. Uh, I had this really weird dream, and, and I, I thought I knew exactly what it was about, and then I started explaining the, the dream to her, and it made less sense once I started explaining it to her, and I realized I'd forgot, forgotten big sections of it. What I knew is that it was really weird. People have weird dreams. And it's entirely possible that Joseph could have just said, that was a weird dream. And this is why the, the story of Joseph is a really interesting entry place for us to reconsider or consider for the first time the message of Christmas. Because we have a lot more in common with Joseph than we might realize. Like, we're being asked tonight to make a choice, either after all of this, and in a moment we'll light some candles and try not to cause major damage to the sanctuary, and we're going to go on our way, we're going to do our Christmas Eve thing, and then our Christmas morning thing. Like, you have the option of going through all of that and then leaving all of this behind, maybe for another year or maybe for a very, very long time, just sort of quietly, politely, no fuss, nothing angry about it, just say, you know, we're just going to kind of put that aside and I'll move on with my life. Or... The other option would be for you to stay and for you to take seriously what this passage says Christmas is really about. It's, it's really about the mystery of Christmas and, and the mission of Christmas. The mystery of Christmas is, uh, is clear enough in the angel's explanation to Joseph. He is told that uh, Mary is pregnant by way of um, the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, later on, we're told that this moment is the fulfillment of like an 800-year-old prophecy, like this is the long-awaited Messiah. Yeah, I take a lot of encouragement that Joseph didn't wake up from that dream and just sort of go, oh, finally, 
It all, it, it all, it all fits. It all makes perfect sense. I'm so thankful for that explanation. Uh, now I can, now I know. Now I understand the incarnation inside and out. That's very encouraging to me because even as I speak to you tonight, I do not understand the depths of this mystery. Fully God and fully man? Uh, it's sort of like when I took one of my teenage sons to see the Christopher Nolan movie Tenet, and we went in blind by intention. We went in not knowing anything. And we walked out. I had no idea what just happened. It was an amazing film. I, I just could not understand it. It was, it was a mystery to me. And that's when one of the 14-year-olds who was with us turned to his friends and said, I totally got that. I totally understood that. A movie that probably requires like a PhD in the theory of relativity, this 14-year-old who's barely passing pre-algebra tells me he's, he understands the whole thing inside and out. I actually said to him, yeah, explain it to me. And he went, well, yeah, you don't understand what happened any more than I do. One theologian, J.R. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, says that the incarnation is the most profound of all the profound teachings in Scripture. He puts it this way, the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than stare and wriggle and make noises. This is where we have some crowd participation. Uh, I mean, those noises you hear are the noises you would have heard on the first Christmas. You know, not the sound of someone playing the organ, but the sound of a baby wriggling around, crying, needing to be changed, needing to be taught like any other child. Packer goes on, there was no illusion or deception about this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation. I guess that includes Christopher Nolan films. Uh, nothing so fantastic. And of course, one of the ways to distance ourselves from the birth of Jesus is just to suck all the mystery right out of it. That's not hard to do. I can tell you how to do it. Just, uh, you know, starting the week before Thanksgiving, something like that, start getting yourself and everyone around you into the Christmas spirit, whether they want to be in the Christmas spirit or not. Buy them thoughtful gifts, eventually cook them some tasty food, create some eggnog, gather people around the table, talk about great memories, have a wonderful Christmas, decorate your house in a way that Joanna Gaines would be so proud of you in the way that you put it all together and put it on Instagram and the lights and the tinsel and all the rest. Uh, just do that. And I'll tell you, a year from now, you will look back at those 125 pictures you took on Christmas morning, and you will declare that that was a good Christmas. And it may very well be completely absent of any mystery whatsoever. This is the dangerous thing about Christmas. You can get it all wrong, and it can feel so right. But it's not just the mystery of Christmas that demands some further reflection. It's also the mission of Christmas. And the angel has not left this up to our imagination. He just tells Joseph straight up the reason that this child is going to be born. She will bear a son, he says, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Do you ever think about this, that the name Jesus itself explains to us 
the mission of Christmas. It's right there in his name. Now, the name Jesus wasn't special. Lots of people were named Jesus back in the day. It's like the name John or Chris or Ryan or any, any other name you might run across on a regular basis in our culture. But the name Jesus is actually derived from the Hebrew name Joshua. It's the Greek form of the name Joshua, which means the Lord saves. And here the angel is saying, here is the child who will really live up to the expectation of his name. He will truly save his people from their sins. There you have it. That's the mission. And you see how we can distance ourselves from that as well. We can just talk about Christmas and completely miss the mission. We can make Jesus about something other than what the angel tells us he came to do. You just have to change a couple words. So, for example, instead of the word save, it's actually much more comfortable. I don't know about you, but when I think about it, to say help. You know? Jesus was born to help us with our sins. Who doesn't like some help with those parts of you that you want to change? We're almost to the new year. We're all going to be interested in self-improvement. Jesus came to help us with our sins, to teach us some things, to make us some more patient parents. Parents, by the way, you're doing phenomenal. You're doing great. You keep up the good work out there. Uh, A more present friend, a more principled person. Like, these are all things that we would love to see poured into our lives. Just change that word save to help. Or maybe you could change this one. If you're not so comfortable just deciding to edit the, the angel's words, I'll just tell you, probably a pretty good instinct. You could just change the idea here, all right? So yes, he came to save his people from their sins, but we know, who, we know who the angel's really talking about. He's talking about those people. You know, the people who really need saving from their sins. It's those people Jesus came for, not, not us. And yet when we do that, when we edit in order to make the message of Christmas less mysterious and less about our desperate need for a Savior. We have simply edited out the good news of the gospel because the good news of the gospel is that Jesus was born to save. He was born to live the perfect human life that you and I have not lived and to go to the cross in our place to die, to pay the penalty for our sins, not to help us with our sins, but to rescue us from the power and the penalty of sin. And in his resurrection to even prove that he has conquered death itself. That's what we mean when we talk about Jesus being the light of the world and the darkness of the world has not overcome it. It means we live in the dark and without Jesus, we stay in the dark, but with Jesus, we are brought into the light of his presence. I'll tell you, this is, a, this is an utterly unique way of understanding what it means to relate to God. The, the late pastor Tim Keller says it like this, the founders of every major religion say to you, I'll show you how to find God. But Jesus comes to you and says, I am God who has come to find you. God with us to rescue us. Austin mentioned uh, just a couple next steps that you could take uh, to begin to understand more fully what it means to trust in Jesus in this way. Our Christianity Explored class, our Grief Share class, just having a conversation with a friend who is a Christian um, about what it means to follow Jesus and believe in him. Um, But I'll just tell you, it, it, it really just starts by recognizing who it is in the manger 
we worship tonight. And it reminds me of a story, a story of a man named Bill Crawford. Bill was a janitor at the United States Air Force Academy in the 1970s. Um, And he was relatively shy, uh, didn't say much to anybody, but he was friendly enough. And the other cadets who walked by him as he emptied out their trash or cleaned their bathroom or did other odd jobs around the building would say hello to him, uh, would go out of their way just to say a kind word to him. But that was about it. They had classes to get to. They had a career to pursue. They were ambitious young men and women. And so they didn't spend a whole lot of time with Bill until... Uh, one of the cadets was reading a book about World War II. And he read of this account uh, of a private, William Crawford, who was in the infantry, who uh, not once but twice charged into enemy fire in order to save the members of his platoon. He was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. And when this cadet verified that that same private William Crawford was the Bill Crawford who was cleaning toilets in his hallway, he made a point of telling everybody about it. And you can imagine, as soon as people recognized that there was a hero in their midst, it changed the way they interacted with him forever. Friends, the testimony of the gospel is that Jesus is a hero in our midst. And we can choose to keep him at a safe distance, to sort of walk away from this text quietly and politely and not put put up much of a fuss, just move on with our lives. But to do so is to miss the one who is with us, the one who has come to rescue you and me. Will you recognize him? Will you see him for who he is and what he has come to do for you? Our God and our Father, we thank you for your word. Most of all, your word made flesh in Jesus. Who do we have in heaven but you? And what hope do we have besides the wonderful hope, the living hope that comes to us this Christmas Eve. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to lift him high and behold him as our Savior. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.